Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. Welcome to One Life Church. Um, I know that most of you came expecting to see my husband, Pastor Guy, this morning. Um, but he has been kneeling at the throne in our bathroom for the last 24 hours and doing a little better this morning, but definitely not well enough to be here. Um, so you get me instead. Um, but I'm excited to be here regardless. Um, this week has been nothing like I hoped it would be. Um, you know, the week up to Christmas is something that we anticipate, that we're excited for, that we plan for all year. Um, you know, we buy our gifts, so we wrap them, and we're making food and stashing it in the freezer and doing all of those fun things. Um, and then Thursday morning came, and I went in to get Elam, and his bed was like a sea of just sickness. It was awful. Um, and that's just kind of been running through our households. Um, and I am just praying that, <laughs> that I don't get that gift next. I was excited to wake up this morning and be on both feet and be good. So hopefully God spares my life from this, but if not, oh well. A um, couple things though I just want to mention to you. Um, I will not be greeting anyone today. Usually um, after service, Guy likes to stand back at the door um, and shake hands with everyone, and, and I like to go up here and just kind of mingle. Um, but for your benefit and the sake of your well-being, I'm not going to do that today. Um, so don't be offended. I'm just going to head on out of here after, after the message. Um, but please stay and mingle. Um, we have a photo booth set up here on the dock. We want you guys to get your family Christmas pictures taken. Um, they can be silly. They can be serious, whatever you like. Um, but we're taking those and posting them on our website so that you can download and print them, um, and just hang out, um, enjoy each other before you go off to your Christmas lunches. Um, and then back in the Welcome Center, back there by the door, we have some of these flyers sitting there. Next week, we are doing our New Year's Eve party here. We'll have our regular service at 6 o'clock on Saturday. Um, and then following that, um, over in the Fellowship Hall, we're going to have a pizza party. Um, and then we're going to come back here and watch Finding Dory. And we just want you to come um, and hang out with us, have kind of a family-friendly evening. We'll be home early so we can get to bed or stay up and watch the ball, whatever you like. Um, but if you know of somewhere that you could put these um, around town or wherever, please take one or a couple um, and hang them up for us, um, and please come and join us. So, like I said, this week has been nothing like I anticipated, and, and it's been kind of depressing, honestly, kind of frustrating, um, because we look forward to Christmas, and we're so excited um, for all the family get-togethers. We literally had plans Friday through Tuesday, every day, multiple times throughout the day, um, family things, and, and all of that's kind of been ruined, and we're not going to eat Christmas lunch today because I would be the only one that can keep it down. So, you know, it's been, it's been frustrating, it's been disappointing, um, and you know, I've had my moments of poor pitiful me and kind of tearing up about it and feeling bad. Um, and then God just nudged me ever so gently and said, Christmas isn't about you. You know, we, we look forward to this family time. I look forward to this family time so much. You know, we have family coming in from out of state that we see once or twice a year, all of, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I believe that God gives us our family and our friends and our loved ones as a gift, and he wants us to enjoy that. But we don't need that to have joy in Christmas. Christmas isn't made out of our family and spending time with them, even though Hallmark tells us otherwise. And I am not going to get to see my son open gifts with his cousins. I've been making phone calls, asking everybody what they got, because we, we can't be there to see that. Um, and my son didn't even get to open his gifts this morning because he didn't get up early enough, and it takes him 45 minutes to eat half a banana. I don't understand that. So hopefully this afternoon we'll get to do some gifts. But it's not about the gifts. 
It's not about opening presents. It's not about eating the meal or not getting to eat the meal. It's about celebrating the birth of our Savior. It's about celebrating that baby that came to earth and was born in a humble humble stable who was sent by God, his Father, to come and live and die for us. That's the ultimate gift. And if everything is stripped away, if everything that we love about Christmas is taken away from us, then we can still have joy this morning if Jesus is our Savior because he is the ultimate gift. He is our source of joy and our source of hope, and he is the reason that we celebrate today. And so this morning, my hope for you is that whether this Christmas is everything you've ever hoped for or more, or it's somewhere towards the other end of the spectrum and you're just hanging on, that you make Jesus the center and the focal point and the focus, that you cast your eyes on him so that no matter the circumstances, you have a joy that can't be taken away. That's my hope for you this morning. And that's, that's what Christmas is about, is having everlasting, eternal joy and peace that can't be taken away by the circumstances of this life. You see, last week we talked about John the Baptist and the way that he found joy in Jesus. You see, um, in the book of Luke, in the first couple chapters, we learn about uh, John the Baptist and uh, how he was given to his elderly parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And when Mary came to visit, Elizabeth because she had heard she was pregnant. Um, And when she came through the door and she spoke to Elizabeth, John the Baptist in the womb literally leapt with joy because he heard the voice of his Savior's mother. The Holy Spirit filled him with joy. And the rest of his life was characterized by that joy, no matter his circumstances, even up until the day that he was beheaded for following and proclaiming Jesus. He was filled with joy because he cast his eyes on Jesus no matter what. He made him his focal point. He made him the sole purpose of his life. And so my question for you this morning is, how are you feeling on this Christmas? Are you feeling joyful Because of your hope and your Savior? Are you doubting? Are you questioning? Are you not sure? Are you just here because your mom drug you in and you have to sit here? How are you feeling this Christmas morning? And I hope and I pray that you find joy in your Savior. See, today we're going to focus on a specific portion of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Luke is the third book in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, Luke was a medical doctor, and he compiled eyewitness accounts and some of his own experiences with Jesus, and he wrote out this really detailed story of Jesus' life. And it's in Luke's book uh, that we get the most comprehensive version of the Christmas story. And so, like you saw in the video this morning, kind of the fun little little kids version of Christmas. Um, We see Jesus traveling to Bethlehem. We see his parents traveling to Bethlehem and there's no room for him in the inn and Jesus is born into a stable. And so now we're going to pick up at the point where the angels come down and they speak to the shepherds in the field and we want to focus on their reaction. Um, So in Luke 2, 8 through 14, it says that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger." 
Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. So you see, the moment that Jesus is born, the moment that history is forever changed because God in the flesh was born, God sends down an angel to speak to the most ordinary and humble of men and tell them to go see what has happened. And something I want to make sure that you understand about this is, um, is that Hallmark gets it wrong, um, you know, and like all of our little Christmas angels on the tree and, and all of that. They've, they've kind of implanted this image into our minds of angels as being this really feminine really gentle, sweet, pretty kind of being, you know, with like glitter and tinsel in their hair and a flowy dress and, and pale, pretty skin and this really soft voice. And, and I imagine if that kind of angel came down and spoke to me and said, look, there's a baby, you have to go see it, I wouldn't be terrified. You see, it says that when this angel appeared to the shepherds, they were terrified. That's a strong word. It's intense fear. It's knock you on your back trying to crawl away because there's something coming at you. You see, God sent an angel who was a soldier for his heavenly army, a man or woman of God who does battle for him with heavenly forces, who's probably wielding a sword, coming down and saying, hey, I've got something to tell you. And so he delivers this good news to them and tells them, you have to go and see this. The Messiah is born, the one that you have been waiting thousands and thousands and thousands of years to come. He's here. You need to go see him. And then, because this is such an important message, because God wants them to really get this, to see that he means business, this is serious stuff, he sends a host of angels, says the armies of heaven came down, a vast host. Vast means so many you can't count them. Them. more than the eye can see it's vast it's huge it's uncountable comes down and proclaims glory to God for what he has just done that's amazing is it not God sends the armies of heaven not these wimpy little cherubs with little harps and smiles on their faces the armies of heaven because he just engaged in the ultimate battle act against the gates of hell he sent his son to set into motion the one person who could get us from death to life, from, from hell to heaven. He set into motion the beginning of our salvation story. And it's an act of war. And he made sure that all of hell and all of earth knew that he meant business. So he sent an army. And now the other interesting part um, of this story, of this part of this story, is that he didn't send these armies to the high and mighty of earth. He sent them to shepherds. Um, and I imagine that shepherds were a lot like the modern-day farmer. Um, they were respectable. They were hardworking men. Uh, people liked them, but they worked probably 24-7. Um, their job was to protect their sheep from predator, from people that were coming to steal them, and to make sure they didn't drown because they were kind of dumb and liked to wander off, um, to keep them well-fed, and just to tend to them all the time. I imagine if they came to church this morning, they'd have poo on their boots. They were just ordinary people. Not highly educated, nothing special. Ordinary people like us. God chose to send this vast army of heaven to speak to normal people because he wanted to send us a message. 
See, I believe God chose those ordinary people to show us that he's not here just to pick the high and mighty. He's not here just to pick the Jewish religious class, the smart people, the highly educated people, but he's coming to ordinary people that he has a purpose for your life right where you are. And so he plucked these shepherds up out of the fields in the middle of the night while they're watching their sheep and says, even now, even with just the simple gifts that you have, I'm calling you to do something extraordinary. And that speaks volumes to us because we so often feel like I'm not smart enough. I don't have a big enough circle of influence. I don't have a platform. Maybe after I go to college, maybe after I get this degree, maybe after I'm married and have kids, whatever, whatever, then I'll be good enough. But God says, no, I call you out of your ordinary circumstances to do great things for me now. You just have to be obedient to me. And so he calls these normal people and says, go, I have a mission for you. And see, God also flips this on the other, flips it on its head in another way. Um, If you read some of the other books, um, Matthew and Mark, they talk about how in the Christmas story, there's also these magi or wise men that come to see Jesus. um, And he puts a star up in the sky and and sends them. They follow it uh, for thousands of miles to come see the Savior, the Messiah. Um, And something that I think is so important for us to recognize, I just heard a a sermon on this this week, is that these magi were not Jews. They were not Jewish people. They were not of the Jewish faith. And they weren't Christians because Christ hadn't died yet, so there wasn't Christians. These were, they were astrologers. They were kind of into like the sorcery type of stuff, religion, you know, just all kinds of world religions. They looked at the stars and the movement of the planets and kind of based their life off of that. And they were from modern day Iran, of all places. But God chose to call them and to have them come see Jesus to once again show us that he comes for all types of people, poor and lowly, wealthy, Jewish, Gentile, secular. It didn't matter that Christ was coming to undo all of that law, to, to put, put that to, to an end and to say, I have come for all people, for from everyone from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, and I have a plan for each one of you from wherever you are. You see, this was the greatest, most important event that has ever happened in history. If the birth didn't happen, the life and the death and the resurrection couldn't have happened. And yet he entrusted this one moment that if you look throughout the Bible, from Genesis on, there is just hints of Jesus' life and his coming and his purpose all throughout the Old Testament. If you look at the prophecies, it talks about where he would be born, that he would be born to a virgin, that his mother would ride on a donkey, just all of these little pieces about his life, all of this prophecy comes together in this one moment, thousands upon thousands of years, this most monumental event And Jesus is first entrusted to a group of shepherds. This important message was first entrusted to a group of shepherds because God chooses to call us, to call ordinary people to take this message. And so now this latter half of the passage, we see how these ordinary people responded. In Luke 2, 15 through 20, it says, when when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. 
The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And so you see these ordinary men immediately upon hearing this good news from the angels took action. It says they heard this and they said, let's go. They didn't think about their sheep. They didn't think about themselves. They didn't think about anything else. They had to go lay eyes on their Savior. They had to go see because God broke into earth, broke into history and chose them and said, I need you to go see this. And so they left behind their livelihood. These men spent all day every day and all night every night with these sheep. They cared for them. They loved them. They were like their children. It was their livelihood. If something happened to these sheep, they were out of work. They were out of money. They were out of food. They were out of everything. And yet they didn't even think about that. There wasn't a moment of hesitation. They said, my Savior has come. My Messiah has come. And they ran to see him. And then after seeing him, their reaction was the same. They ran out into the town to tell everybody what they had seen. It says they told everyone because the good news that their Messiah had come was so overwhelming. It brought so much joy to their life that they couldn't help but share it. And so they went door to door in the middle of the night, banging on doors, telling people, he's here, he's here, he's here, the Messiah's come, he's here, he's here, you, can, you have to see this, you have to see this. You see, I think sometimes you and I, you know, we see this story and we hear these things and we think, that's great. You know, we tell, especially like the little kids parody, you know, we, we glaze over, we get the simple details. But I think if you and I would put ourselves in their positions, it would have been easy, I think, to run and see Jesus. You've just had a, an army of heaven come down and speak to you and say, the Messiah has come. So I think in that moment, there wouldn't be much hesitation. But then to run through the streets in the middle of the night, waking people up, banging on doors and saying, he's here, he's here, he's here, the Messiah has come. I think that takes courage. And I think sometimes you and I, we forget that the Messiah has come. I think we forget the way that he's interceded in our life. Maybe we didn't have a vast um, army of angels coming down to speak to us. But we've, if you are saved today, if Jesus means something to you, if he's interrupted your life, if he's given you a new heart, if he's broken you out of some kind of bondage of sin, then, then you have something to be joyful for. You have something to be excited about. That God has interrupted history on your behalf. That he chose to give you a new heart. He chose to give you hope and peace and life. He did that for me. He changed my life. He changed who I was. And so when we think about that baby in a manger, I think we need to be more like these shepherds going door to door, going to our family get-togethers today, going out into our workplaces and telling people what this baby in a manger really means, that the Messiah came, that he changed my life, that yeah, maybe it was 10 years ago, but my life is better today than it was then because I met Jesus, because I saw my Savior face to face, because my life is nothing like it was before. And without him, I wouldn't be here today. See, that is the point of Christmas. That is why Christ came. You see, there's so much purpose in everything in the Christmas story. We could sit and dissect details for days and still not fully understand God's intention and God's purpose in all of this. Um, the, I think the city of Bethlehem tends to get a bad rap. 
Um, you know, we, we see these stories, we see the children's plays and the parodies of Christmas, and, and we see Mary and Joseph coming in, and nobody has room for them. The innkeeper can't take them, so he sticks them in a stable. Um, but what we forget is that there was a census going on at the time. Um, so everybody in the Roman Empire had to travel back to their hometown where they were born um, so that they could be counted as part of the census. And so Bethlehem was on overload because everybody alive in the Roman Empire, which was basically the whole world at that point, everybody alive that was born there had to come back to be counted, they and their families. And so the inns were overflowing. People had their own extended families staying in their houses and probably sleeping on their roofs and everywhere else because there was such an overabundance of people coming. And so we look at them, and it's easy to think, well, jerks, they don't have any room for Jesus. They don't know who he is. They just know it's more people for the census, and we're overwhelmed. But something that's so unique about this is, number one, because of that, Jesus had to be born in a manger, in a stable. And so he was born in these humble, lowly circumstances. Yet again, God's showing us that he doesn't care about worldly wealth and accolades. He comes for the humble and the lowly, and that Jesus was not above lying in a manger as a babe. But secondly, because of this census, there was an overwhelming number of people in Bethlehem that night that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And so when the shepherds come running through town, banging on doors, proclaiming the Messiah, all of these thousands of people are hearing this message that never would have heard it before because they wouldn't have been there. See, God's timing was so precise and so specific. And then after the census, all of those people go back to where they came from, taking this message, taking the exciting news that the Messiah was born, and it spreads like wildfire. But what if those shepherds had never gone What if the angels came, they went and saw Jesus, and then they went back to their fields because they were worried about their sheep, or they were afraid, or they thought, well, you know, that half of town's kind of sketchy, I don't know them, or "Eh, I don't think they're even Jewish, they wouldn't care, ah, you know, let's just tell a couple people. What if they had made those excuses and they hadn't taken the message like they did? Would we even know? Would the world have known that the Messiah was born? See, we have this important responsibility. We have this message of hope. We have this life change. We've seen the Savior. If you are a born-again believer this morning, you have met the Savior of the world. And it is our responsibility to be bold with it, to take this message, to, to look at our spheres of influence, whether it's work or family or whatever, and to be bold with the gospel message, the good news of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and what it means to you. Because had those shepherds not gone and done their job, no one would have known the Messiah had come. And if you and I don't do our jobs and share this ultimate joy and peace and hope that we have in Jesus, no one's going to know. Reading about Jesus on Facebook is not going to change a life, but hearing your personal testimony is going to change a life. And so this morning on this Christmas, my question to you is very simple. How do you feel about Christmas today? Are you full of joy and peace and hope? Or is it just another day to you? And I encourage you this morning that if Christmas doesn't really mean anything to you, that if Jesus has never changed your life, if he's just someone you hear about at church and you go home, 
then I want you to meet him this morning. I want you to know him in a new way. Know that he loves you, that he came specifically for you, that he has a purpose and a plan for your life and my life. And for the rest of us, no matter what your circumstances are, if you have Christ in your heart, if that baby in a manger means anything to you, that no matter your circumstances in life, if you fix your eyes on him, no matter what, then you will have a sense of joy and peace and hope in your life that nothing in this world can take away from you, not even the vomit flu on Christmas, okay? So this morning, I just want to encourage you to look to that baby in a manger and to give praise and glory to God for sending his son. So at this time, if the worship leaders would like to come up, um, I'd just like to pray with you all, wish you a Merry Christmas. So let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. Lord, you sent your son as a precious, perfect little baby all these thousands of years ago to be born in a humble, dirty manger so that he could live a perfect and spotless life and so that he could die in my place, in our place, so that he could conquer death and hell and that he could ascend to your right hand and stand in glory forever so that we could have a chance to stand in your presence so that we could have a chance to know you and to love you and to live for you and to one day stand in your presence and proclaim your glory forever and ever. Lord, that's what Christmas is about, is the hope and the peace and the joy that you give us. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, who hasn't encountered you like that, who doesn't have that hope and that joy, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage in this moment just to cry out to you and say, Lord, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he came and was born of a virgin, that he died in my place, that he conquered hell, and that he is at your right hand in glory. And that if I profess faith in you, that I am now proclaimed holy, that you no longer hold my sin against me, but that you see me spotless because of Jesus. God, I just, I pray that these people would know you and they would love you and they would experience that life change like I have like so many of us have. And Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that we would remember that this is what Christmas is about, that you came for us and that we now need to go out for you to tell the world how they can have this sense of joy, this sense of peace, this sense of life like they've never experienced before. So Lord, I pray this Christmas would be a starting point for us to go out and to change our world, to run out like the shepherds did, going door to door. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. Let me tell you about him. He loves you. So Lord, we just give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. You are so good and so faithful. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. Amen.